Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Welcome to the Radioactive Show Today I'm talking to veteran anti-war activist Simon Moyle Simon, good afternoon G'day Greg, good to be with you yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, so I'm just for our listeners out there, can you just start by telling us uh, about Talisman Sabre and your experience with it? Sure. So Talisman Sabre is a uh, series of uh, military exercises that happen uh, actually around the country, around Australia, uh, in various places, um, including... Uh, the Northern Territory and, uh, and a little place, or rather a, quite a large place on the Queensland coast, central Queensland coast near Rockhampton, uh, called Shoalwater Bay. Um, so there's a big training area there um, on Drumble land, and uh, they do live fire exercises, so everything from, um, uh, everything from sort of ship to shore stuff, uh, to landing, uh, with paratroopers and, uh, and obviously long range bombing and those sorts of things as well. Um, and it's a combination, I suppose, of the Australian and US forces. So it's a, uh, an, imp- what they call interoperability exercise where Australia and the US, uh, fuse their forces together, uh, to, uh, practice for the kinds of invasions that we're seeing in Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and elsewhere. So, do you remember when you first heard about them? What were you doing? Yeah, it would have been uh, late 2006, I think, that a friend of mine, uh, Jess, who had been to the 2015 uh, Talisman Sabre Gathering. 2005? Uh, 2005, you're right, yes, sorry. 2005 uh, Gathering had... um, uh, done some resistance there with a small group of others and there was a, uh, uh, I guess, a convergence happening uh, at the 2007 um, uh, exercises which uh, I was invited to be a part of. And that was a pretty big one, 2007, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was a good uh, sort of 300 people at the camp. So that was, uh, in terms of what happened before and since, uh, not been repeated. So mm, yeah. yeah, it's a long, yeah, Rockhampton's a long way away. So what was your first act of resistance up at Talisman Sabre in Queensland? Yeah, so my first time, as I say, was 2007. Uh, and there, as I say, there was quite a, a significant group up there. I, I went with a number of friends of mine. Um, and so eventually we, uh, whittled that down to a group of five of us who decided to, um, I guess make our presence known on the base by actually, uh, walking on, crossing the, the fence, um, and trespassing on the base during the live fire exercises to, um, to interrupt them, to, to get in the way, I suppose, of that continued, uh, preparation for war and uh, recognising that uh, the presence of civilians on the base means they have to stop the exercises. So it was a way of, um, yeah, I guess uh, sort of semi-akin to a human shield kind of action where you get on and get in the way and uh, and non-violently try to resist the, the preparations for war. And for you personally, aside from the cost of travelling up from Melbourne to Rockhampton and the effects that has in your personal life, what was the affecting result for you in terms of legal or um, financial costs or anything like that? Mm, yeah, so that was, uh, we ended up deciding to plead not guilty 
uh, and actually argue the necessity defence, um, that we had to do it in order to prevent a greater harm. Um, and I think one of the things that came out of that for me was the enormous privilege we have both uh, as Australians, but particularly for those of us who are um, uh, privileged in, in other ways, gender uh, and, and particularly skin colour um, and culture. Um, and education and a whole lot of other factors. So we ended up um, actually not just... Uh, we, we were found guilty, but uh, we uh, ended up with a penalty of just a six-month good behaviour bond. So mm. what, what that opened my eyes to was just um, how much freedom, I suppose, we have in this country to resist um, and how relatively costless it is, particularly for those of us who are in privileged positions, um, uh, to do that kind of resistance... Um, uh, because in actual fact, we do tend to be treated fairly well by the court system, generally speaking. I know there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, um, it's relatively costless. And uh, and so I guess the question for me coming out of that was, why aren't more people doing this? Mm. Uh, yep. And it's uh, been a question ever since. What did you get out of it then? Like, what talked some people into it? What, what was good about it for you? Uh, I, th- I think there's something about putting your body in places where it's inconvenient for uh, injustice to thrive or, or di- much more difficult for ju- injustice to thrive. And um, uh, I think so much of the time we can talk about what's wrong with the world that you never actually, uh, until you actually step out and, and do something. Um, and there's, there's ways of doing that, I suppose, that are... Uh, attempts to persuade and educate other people but at the end of the day um, it's about where you put your body you know Um, I think uh, it's Philip Berrigan that talked about hope is where your rear end is you know Um, and that's where uh, that's what I was uh, what we were trying to do I suppose is put our bodies in a place that it was going to make it more difficult for that uh, those preparations for war to continue and and it just um, it has a formative effect on you I suppose Um, in uh, seeing what's possible beyond, um, you know, what we're told, mm. uh, what we're socialised into. Yeah. Mm. So what was your next... So that was 2007. What did you go up and... What was your next act of resistance, either in Talisman Sabre or... Yeah, so then we, we followed that up with a, um, a convergence in 2009, uh, which was... Um, fewer on the ground, but uh, probably a little more spirited in terms of um, non-violent resistance. Uh, so there were a number of groups that year that actually um, trespassed onto the base um, as affinity groups, smaller uh, groups. Yeah. Um, so I was part of a group of four um, who actually named ourselves on that occasion after the... Um, uh, Kevin Rudd was... Um, the Prime Minister at the time, and he had named uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer as kind of his uh, hero, if you like. Um, uh, he was a, a Christian pastor in the uh, in Germany um, during the Nazi years, and uh, who uh, I guess resisted Hitler. Um, and one of the his particular things was that um, uh, that war came from um, a commitment to violence, and so he he was actually a pacifist. And so for us as um, folks who uh, were both uh, fans of Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, and, I guess, and Christians as well, we sort of thought it was a good opportunity to speak to uh, Rudd about his hero. And so we named ourselves the Bonhoeffer Four uh, for that reason. Uh, and we went on to the base and basically spent as much time as we could there um, 
again in a sort of human shield action but this time rather than going straight to the military we spent uh, a couple of days in the bush um, making our way towards live fire areas and trying to um, make our presence obvious but uh, not be caught yeah wow mm. and just to clarify for people who may not know Bonhoeffer was uh, uh, imprisoned and then executed mm. by by the Nazi regime uh, so that was a pretty high cost he paid for resisting the Nazis how does it feel for you thinking going to these live firing exercises that you might have to pay a similar cost um, yeah yeah I guess you you know you you calculate those things beforehand <laughs> and you, you minimize the risks as much as possible uh, so we knew what most of the risks were. We knew where the live fire areas were. Um, so we weren't about to go where we thought there was a um, uh, great risk of, of being blown up. But, uh, but I guess, you know, part of these things is recognising that if we're not as uh, human beings uh, prepared to resist in the same, to the same cost as, uh, you know, soldiers are to prosecute a war, then we can hardly, you know be really realistically uh saying that we're committed to peace so we need to um think about the kinds of costs that we uh need to uh, be prepared to and, and willing to pay if we're going to you know enter into this kind of resistance mm. um i think yeah if we had if we had a significant amount of people who were uh willing to pay that kind of cost we wouldn't need nearly as many sold you know non-violent soldiers i suppose <laughs> Um, as we have um, violent soldiers uh, in order to actually have a real impact on uh, Australia's war making in particular, but also, you know, US and other places around the world. Yeah, that's that's great, Simon. Uh, so that was, uh, sorry, we're up to 2011, that was 2009, that was yeah. 2009, that's mm-hmm. right, excuse me. Mm. Uh, and then you didn't go back for a few years. You were involved in Swan Island, which I might just talk about in a few minutes. Mm. Um, but that brings us to 2015. Is that yeah, the next time? You that went was up? the next time I was there. Yeah. So we spent a number of years doing uh, war resistance down here in Victoria, which was, um, you know, where we came from. Thinking that uh, you know Queensland's a long way away. Um, but yeah, we, uh, I guess Talisman Saber still sat there in the back burner, and we followed folks who had gone up there and decided again to return. Uh, uh, in fact, inspired by. Uh, uh, a young man by the name of Greg Rolls. Yeah, uh, who, so uh, who we came in together. Did a, a call out um, for folks to come up in t- uh, 2015. Before we do that, can I just ask about, because people may have heard of Talisman Sabre, but can you just give an idea of why Talisman Sabre is something that sits in the back of your mind or that you're concentrated on? Like, it's, it's you know, you read about it, but when you go up there, you see just how big it is, isn't it? Like, it's... Yeah, well, I mean, it's you know twenty, thirty thousand uh, soldiers. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not a kind of minor thing. So, and you've got everyone from the you know Navy, Army, Air Force all joining together from the US and Australia. So, it's not just a significant amount of people. It's a significant amount of money. A significant mm-hmm. amount of uh, equipment, uh, and all of those sorts of things. So, it's very visible. Um, and I guess it's um, particularly with the US focusing now on the Pacific region and uh, thinking much uh, more about the um, potential conflict with China, it just makes this region in particular a real flashpoint and, and an opportunity, I suppose, for those of us um, who want to see an alternative way of uh, an alternative foreign policy, if you like, um, to um, uh, you know, have that visible way of uh, resisting. Mm. Mm. Well, let's just briefly talk about the story of 2015. So 
that was a campaign I led to try and get 100 people up there. But you and I actually went on together along with Simon Reeves. Mm. I'm interested actually to hear your uh, side of things. Like what, <laughs> what happened for you? How did you get up there? And well, you know, what happened in the experience for you? Why don't you walk us through the story? Yeah, sure. So I guess uh, in, in our researching that um, these exercises, one of the uh, parts of the exercise that we noticed in particular was the, um, the parachute drop. So... Uh, they have these uh, enormous. I can't even remember the name of the planes, but they're massive, very massive, large planes. I believe massive troop carriers, uh, and and actually they carry tanks. Um, yeah. In these planes, so star, they, I think the star lifters they're called. Yeah, it could could well be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but those those planes, uh, and there's a number of them, I think up ten or twelve of them that actually fly non-stop from the US to Australia for this exercise. And uh, as they fly into Australia, they drop uh, these troops. And we thought, what a great opportunity (laughs) for us to uh, disrupt a part of the exercise, particularly that's a big media stunt. So the media are always there, and it's one of the ways that um, Talisman Sabre and and the military tries to get some good PR up there. And so we thought it was a good opportunity, if we could uh, (laughs) freakily find uh, where they were doing it um, Mm. and uh, get in the right timing for that uh, particular part of the exercise, um, it would be a great thing to, to be able to disrupt. So we um, we went in early that morning. So we knew, we actually found out what day that uh, part of the exercise was happening. Uh, we went in early in the morning and trekked through the bush and found the area where we thought they were going to do it, and it turned out to be the correct spot. Mm. Um, and uh, as we hid in the bushes... Uh, one of the, I guess one of the things we wanted to do was to, as uh, for those of us who were involved in this particular action, and there were three of us, um, all of us who were Christians, and so we were wanting to, um, uh, in this particular case, uh, have uh, what we call Eucharist or Communion or Lord's Supper, um, which is a meal that we have uh, ritually as Christians as a way of remembering the broken body uh, of Jesus. Um, and uh, so this is a way of bringing the reality of broken bodies and shed blood uh, into a space uh, where that, that sort of thing is uh, often ignored, I suppose, both the, the cost to soldiers uh, themselves and also the cost to civilians. Um, so to bring the broken bodies and shed blood uh, into that space um, by inviting the soldiers to a meal. So we, um, uh, we ended up being found like just uh, as those planes were starting to come in. Uh, so they actually arrested us and hauled us off. Um, uh, and as, as they took us out of the area, we actually passed the, the, me- uh, the media who were heading on into the area. So yeah. we and, turned and out to just miss out. All the media of Rockhampton, you know, the state parliamentarians and the mayor of Rockhampton, like it's a big propaganda. It's a big deal, yeah. All right, we're just going to go to a song. We'll come back, I want to talk about why you think... Uh, that propaganda is important, what we can do about that. Uh, You're listening to The Radioactive Show. Today I'm talking to Simon Moyle and we're talking about 2015 Talisman Sabre. Um, So Simon, we've just gone past the media um, uh, uh, and why do you think that... why do you think this propaganda is such... It was such... Like I said, the mayor was there, the state politicians who had gone there, lots of American 17-star generals or something. Why do you think that there was so much importance placed on this airdrop, do you think? Uh, I guess uh, for them it's a big, uh, I guess, visual opportunity. So when you're you know, trying to sell your media, um, 
you know, the more vis- spectacular visuals you can get, the better. So it was one of a number of, um, I guess, media events, but uh, having folks, uh, you know, having them drop in from the sky and particularly from these enormous uh, planes was uh, pretty spectacular. It was a way, I guess, of drawing attention to the, the way that, that uh, uh, the military's... Um, uh, you know, seen I guess as as a not just an invading force, but as some sort of humanitarian force. Yeah, protecting. So uh, yeah, how strong and capable we are. That's right. Intimidating for the enemy. I, I just asked that question because the main thing that we we did in terms of uh, actually disrupting was, uh, you know, we dominated the local media, and you know, I think the Queensland mm. media didn't we? So mm, yeah, uh, that's right. And I think just the importance of disrupting those stories. You know, of here come the good guys and people being able to say. Even if you can't physically disrupt, being actually able to question that in the mainstream media is, I don't know. I find that really important. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. But. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it just gives an alternative narrative um, for those who are, uh, you know, less likely to question um, automatically. Mm. So, uh, Talisman Sabre, uh, as you said, are based in Queensland. You're focused on Swan Island down in Melbourne and Victoria, which mm. lasted for five or six years. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a more broad question, though, about um, the anti-war movement in Australia and what do you think possibly needs to happen for the anti-war movement? First of all, do we need an anti-war movement in Australia? Second of all, if we do, because I know how you're going to answer that... <laughs> Um, how, how, how do we, you know, uh, make it, cause it feels to me like there's not a lot happening. How do we make it bigger or how do we get people in or what does it need to kind of maybe put, try and thrive or something? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think one of the things we need to do better is to draw the, make the connections because, uh, what's happening, uh, in the climate movement, for example, which is, which is growing and is, is doing, um, some amazing things. Um, what's happening in the uh, refugee movement um, is also, you know, really wonderful. I think we need to be starting to make the connections between these things because they're not they're they're not uh, separate issues, right? Yeah, like yeah. Um, uh, climate change uh, fuels a whole lot of conflicts. Um, it fuels poverty. Um, the 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 kind of poverty that drives these conflicts. Um, it feels, you know, lust for resources and, and need for um, for dominating them. Uh, you know, the refugee movement is a direct response. It is a direct result of the wars that we've been fighting for mm-hmm. um, for decades. Uh, so, if we can start to connect all these things, uh, I think we we then strengthen the movement because uh, those in the refugee movement are no longer just you know refugee advocates. Um, they're, they're anti-war um, yeah. uh, activists as well and those who are in the climate movement uh, same thing so if we can uh, broaden our sense of, of or our analysis if you like and um, and start to have those people recognise that the, what they're doing is already um, a, a part of an act of um, you know an anti-war uh, you know and for peace uh, in this world, then um, we've already broadened that, that movement, if you like, without even having to um, have them specifically, you know, get onto a military base or, mm. or whatever. Um, but do you think that to do anything about climate or effective climate change action or refugee action, do you think we need to actually be doing anti-war or do we need more anti-war for that to happen? Are they going to happen without an anti-war movement? Uh, I think that's a good question. Whether it'll happen without an anti-war movement, or it depends, I suppose, what that anti-war movement looks like. Mm. Uh, but um, 
I, I certainly think we need still people publicly standing up and questioning, um, you know, things like the uh, the alliance with the US, which is totally unquestioned, even <laughs> just somehow despite Donald Trump. I just yeah. find that, you know, incredible. But um, uh, the, the very fact that we are lockstep with the US on everything um, in terms of our foreign, foreign policy is, is incredibly disturbing. Um, so everything from that to just uh, militarism in general and the way, you know, it finds its tentacles into everything from education to health and everything else. Mm. Um, and, and technology, the way, you know, a whole lot of uh, technology now um, comes to us via the military. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's got its tentacles into a whole lot of, I guess, areas. And, and so, yeah, it, I guess anti-war work can look um, quite different depending on um, how it manifests in that way. If you've got folks, you know, questioning the new Lockheed Martin Centre um, at the University of Melbourne, um, you know, that's fantastic. You know, we need folks in there both putting their bodies on the line and doing the policy work inside the University of Melbourne to question the kind of thinking that says that, you know, private, um, you know, arms dealers getting into, you know, young kids' minds is a good thing. That's, mm, yeah. <laughs> seems to me to be super disturbing. Yeah. Um, so if we, yeah, folks uh, of all walks of life actually um, questioning that and, and encouraging the questioning of that. Um, in whatever form that takes is a great thing. So how do we get more people putting their bodies on the line or um, at least make it a viable option? You know, what does the anti-war movement need, do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm i not sure that I know. <laughs> I know yeah. what... Yeah, I, think, I think if I knew the answer to that, I'd be doing it. Um, and, and I guess that's why... A lot of why we do what we do. I guess my experience has been that what builds movements is action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so um, it's just doing it yourself, I suppose, that uh, shows both people what's possible um, and becomes an attractive option for people uh, who, you know, might already be questioning or might be wondering what on earth can I do. They see actions happen and uh, and if those movements, those groups are accessible enough to, um, you know, have people join them, then uh, the movement can build. But, yeah, to be honest, I don't know. If, if I had a, a, a better idea than that, I'd, I'd be yeah. doing it. But that's... Uh, I was that's hoping if I got you, you, you to talk for a bit, you'd just come up with an answer. So <laughs> that was the plan for the anti-war. Sorry to disappoint. No, no, no you've been anything but disappointing. Um, so you've been involved in a fair few major anti-war actions in Australia. Um, do, do you want to just tell us the best thing you get out of it or what you've most appreciated about being involved in it? Yeah, I think um, uh, to in order to be hopeful, you know, we need to do hopeful things. <laughs> mm. um, and I, I think part of what's uh, distressing at the moment is the, the amount of despair around. And, and I think despair very often breeds a kind of apathy or a, a disconnection. And I, I totally get that, you know, like I feel that too. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time I understand why people are feeling disheartened and burnt out and, and distressed um, and so yeah I think it's just about us starting small and doing something rather than nothing um, and then if we can you know continue to do that together because you can you can't do these things um, without other people um, I think that's what's kept me going is friendships um, the friendships that are forged in those kinds of circumstances are you know extraordinary friendships probably the best kind um, 
mutual support, uh, mutual aid. So, um, yeah, if we can continue to build those kinds of friendships that help one another to do these things sustainably over the long haul, um, then, uh, yeah, we're witnessing to a different way and that's as much as we can do, I think. It, mm, might, yeah. might, uh, it might, you know, get people on board, it might not, um, but uh, we're living you know, truthfully to our values and to, to who we want to be and what we think is important. And that is, you know, in itself a reward, I suppose. Mm. I'm just, I'm just thinking here, just before we wrap up, I'm just thinking back since I met you in 2012, um, all the cool things we've done together, there was the 2015 Mm. Talisman Sabre, which was my favorite Talisman Sabre out of the two I went to. So there you go. Mm. Um, but also the, I'm thinking about like what our friendship sport, the 2014, um, Frontier Wars March. Yeah. It was a pretty phenomenal fun yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Like these are the kind of friendships that you want in the world, isn't it? So. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And that's that's where, you know, actions like that to, you know, you, you're mixing with folks across culture and uh, um, that's the sort of thing too that, again, breeds a sense of hope and excitement. And, um, yeah, if we can be making those cross-pollinations between different movements. Mm. Um, it just strengthens all of us. It does. All right, Simon, thanks for joining us today on the Radioactive Show. No worries. Thanks for having me. All right, you've been listening to the Radioactive Show, recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and the stolen lands in Melbourne. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at radioactive.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on The Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Tune in to Stick Together. Workers' Stories. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.